The following message from Pastor Kit Johnson comes to you from Life Point Baptist Church in Apple Valley, California, where we pray that God's Word is a real blessing to you. You can turn your Bibles to Romans 3. Appreciate those songs and excited for uh, the text we get to look at today. And um, I, I love... I love my job, so to speak, um, but I especially um, I'm excited for the text I get to preach this morning and, and uh, thankful for the opportunity. And we'll be in Romans 3, uh, 24 to 26, and uh, we'll read it here in a moment. But you know, some of the, some of the best stories uh, that you will ever hear are, are stories of how people got saved. And there's so many ways that people come to Christ. And, and so many different uh, ways that God brings them to that point of salvation. And, and of course, we often get especially excited about dramatic stories where someone is living a life of, of wickedness and radical rebellion against God, and, and God just radically changes their life, takes them from being something over here to something dramatically different. And, uh, and some of you have that kind of story of salvation, God dramatically changed your life. But every conversion is a miracle of God's grace. And they are all awesome. Now, for example, uh, this summer I, was, I had the opportunity to talk with a boy who uh, trusted in Christ during vacation Bible school. And, and, uh, and he said to me, he said, I had been waiting to receive Christ until I was good enough. And this week I realized I'll never be good enough. And, and praise the Lord. They praise the Lord for that wonderful story of God's grace. And I hope that everyone who's here today has had that kind of experience. And, and it might not be highly emotional and dramatic uh, like uh, some people's are. Of course, this boy's story wasn't. But God in His mercy brought you to the end of yourself. And He showed you the beauty of Christ and you repented of your sins, and you were saved. And it's a miracle. It's a miracle anytime someone trusts in Christ. And if that has happened to you, then the passage we're going to look at today should serve as a precious reminder of what God did for you in Christ. And it's going to encourage your heart, and I hope that you will glorify God for His grace in your life. But if you have never received Christ as your Savior, I pray that God will use His Word today to radically transform everything about you. And so let's read a beginning in Romans 3, verse 21. God says, But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe, for there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God being justified as a gift by His grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in His blood through faith. This was to demonstrate His righteousness because in the forbearance of God, He passed over the sins previously committed. For the demonstration, I say, of His righteousness at the present time, so that He would be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Folks, this is an awesome passage of Scripture. And I, I said last week 
uh, that, that many people, most people, see this passage as the center of the book of Romans. And frankly, uh, a lot of people have said that it is the pa- central passage of the entire New Testament. Because in this passage, Paul lays out very succinctly, but, but very powerfully, exactly what it is that God did for us in Christ and how it is that sinners are made right with a holy God. And so this is a wonderful passage of Scripture. And, and last week, I emphasized uh, three key truths uh, from verses 21 through 23. So we talked last week about the fact uh, that because we are all sinners, we all fall short of God's glory. And so our only hope of being made right as sinners with a righteous God is that God credits His own righteousness to us. And so we talked about the fact that God credits an alien righteousness, and a righteousness that is not in me, it is God's righteousness, which He credits to the sinner. And we stand in that righteousness, and that is the basis of our salvation. And then second, we saw that this incredible gift of righteousness is applied through faith, not by works. And then third, this gift of salvation is equally available to all people. We're all sinners. We all fall short of God's glory. And so salvation is available to everyone by faith. And that is great news. And this morning, we're going to look at verses 24 through 26. And there are four key concepts that this passage is built upon. And so the first key concept is justification. So so verse 24 begins being justified as a gift by His grace. Now, in the flow of Romans, that statement is absolutely huge. Because look back at what Paul just said in verse 20. So verse 20 ends the first major unit of Romans and says, because by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For through the law comes the knowledge of sin. So so God is very clear there that we all stand before God guilty. And if I try and stand before God someday at the last judgment based on my own righteousness, I will not be justified. I will not be declared not guilty. I will instead be declared guilty and sentenced to everlasting punishment in hell. So I have no hope of justifying myself. But verses 21 and 22 say that there is hope of salvation because God credits His righteousness to us by faith. And verse 24 calls that gift justification. So so I cannot justify myself, but I can be justified in Christ. Now, you might wonder, well, what does that mean? What does it mean to be justified? Well, uh, here is uh, Wayne Grudem's definition. He defines justification as an instantaneous legal act of God in which he thinks of our sins as forgiven and Christ's righteousness as belonging to us and declares us to be righteous in his sight. So let's walk through this carefully because this is very important. All right. So first of all, it is instantaneous. So, so it's not like I believe on Christ, and then after I believe on Christ, I slowly get to the point where I am justified by my good deeds. No. The moment I exercise faith in Christ, I am justified. Now look at what he says in chapter 4, verse 3. It says, for what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. So, so he's saying there that the moment Abraham believed, 
He was credited as righteous. There's no lag time. It is instantaneous. As well, we need to emphasize that justification is legal as opposed to practical. Now, now that's also very important, right? Because on a practical level, I'm still a sinner. I'm still a sinner. And I I will be until the day that that I die or Jesus comes again. And and so justification is not that that I become worthy of of that declaration. No. Chapter 4, verse 5 says that God justifies the ungodly. So practically speaking, I'm ungodly. Hopefully I'm godlier than I used to be, but I'm still ungodly compared to God. But I am justified, I am declared righteous, even while I am ungodly. So my debt is paid, and legally, I stand in the righteousness of Christ. And so I am legitimately declared righteous, even while I'm a sinner, because God sees me in Christ. Now, I want to be clear that that does not mean that God is apathetic about my sin. You know, so I'm declared righteous, so I've got my ticket to heaven, and so I might as well just do whatever I want. No, no, we're going to see when we get to Romans chapter 6 that if someone has that mentality about sin, they've probably never truly been born again. Because when God saves, He he also defeats enslaving power. And by God's grace, I should want to grow and I should want to change. So, 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 So God doesn't just justify and leave me to live in sin. He changes me. But but that practical righteousness is not what justifies. Only the legal declaration of God. And then as well, I want to emphasize that that justification has both a negative and a positive side to it. So so negatively, um, uh, God forgives my sin and He removes it. He, He takes my guilt away. And on the positive side, He credits me with His own righteousness. So so it's not just that that when I get saved, that that I become innocent. I'm not just innocent like a baby. I am declared righteous. I stand in the righteousness of His Son. And and so folks, that really is the best news we could ever hear. And and to cap it all off, notice in verse 24 that, that God does all of this simply he says, as a gift by His grace. Now, now, the Greek word translated gift there is the word dorian. And it's a financial term, and it simply means that something is free. I don't pay a dime to be justified. No, it is a gift. God doesn't take payments. And that's a good thing, because I never could pay it off if He did. No, instead, God simply gives it to me the same way you give a gift to a small child. You know, at Christmas time, you don't give gifts to your kids expecting to get something of equal value in return, right? You just give them gifts. And that's the same way that God gives to us. He gives freely. And why does God do that? It's because He is full of grace. Now, God is certainly more than grace, But notice, I love how God describes himself to Moses in Exodus 34, verses 6 and 7. So so this is a passage where God reveals his glory to Moses. And he speaks to Moses as he passes by. And it's fascinating what God emphasizes. It says in that passage, Then the Lord passed by in front of him and proclaimed, 
The Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and truth, who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin. Yet he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished, visiting the iniquity of fathers on the children and on the grandchildren to the third and fourth generation. So, so God gets to justice. And you can't know God without appreciating His justice. But He wants to be known first and foremost as a God who is full of grace. And I hope that you see God fundamentally as a loving, compassionate Father who is full of kindness and compassion. Because that grace is the very foundation of the gospel. And it's the foundation of your relationship to Him. So so praise God today for free justification. And and if you are saved, then, then remember today that you didn't do anything to achieve it. No, God gave it to you freely. And give thanks for that. Yeah, but maybe you're sitting there today and and you just can't shake the idea that there is something you must have to do to to achieve salvation. And and please see that God is abundantly clear that, that salvation is a gift that is applied to us by faith. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 could not be clearer. God says, therefore, by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. So you just received a gift. And if you have never received that gift, I hope you will do so before you leave today. So so verse 24 begins by emphasizing the fact that justification costs me nothing. It is a gift of His grace. But notice that while it was free for me, it wasn't free for God. It cost him an infinite price. And the second major concept in our text is redemption. So Paul goes on, let's read verse 24 again. He says, being justified as a gift by his grace, notice, through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. So, so what, does it, what does redemption mean? Well, here's a definition from um, one of my uh, seminary professors. He says, atonement in terms of redemption or ransom And by the way, those terms are synonymous. So you see ransom, redemption in the New Testament. It's coming from the same uh, uh, Greek word. So atonement in terms of redemption and ransom means that Christ bought sinners out of slavery and servitude that sin creates by the payment of an infinite ransom price, the shedding of his own blood. It is the satisfaction of God's justice. So So redemption, the the language of redemption, when you see that in the Bible, is built on the image of slavery. And of course, slavery was a very familiar image uh, to to all of Paul's readers. So the Jews, the the Jewish national history begins in slavery in Egypt, right? And and it's estimated that somewhere between 20 and 40% of Rome's subjects were slaves. So, So these people lived every day of their lives surrounded by slavery, and many of them probably enslaved themselves. And the concept of redemption originated as the price that has to be paid to buy a slave his freedom. And it's an appropriate image because the gospel, uh, appropriate image of the gospel, because we are all enslaved to sin. We, We are all sinners bound by sin, and as well, we all have a massive sin debt. 
I like how Colossians 2.14 pictures it as a financial ledger. You know, think of a financial book and, and every time you sin, it's like another line is added to your debt. And the debt grows bigger and bigger. And that list grows longer and longer. I mean, just imagine if there was a paper copy of your sin ledger. How long and how massive that would be. I mean, our sin debt is absolutely incredible. And there's no way I could ever hope to pay it off. But, but Jesus accepted my debt when He went to the cross. And so Colossians 2.14 says that He canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us. And He has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. So in other words, that the charges for which Jesus ultimately died were not His own charges. No. I mean, at least in the mind of God, obviously physically this wasn't there, but, but, but in the mind of God, my debt ledger was nailed to the cross. My sin is what hung over His head when He died. And so when He died on that cross, He was suffering my punishment. He was paying my debt. And that's the reason Jesus came. And Mark chapter 10, verse 45 says, that Jesus says, Therefore, even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give His life a ransom or, or give His life a redemption for many. And of course, we know that Jesus suffered unimaginable torment to purchase that freedom. And I hope that we never grow calloused to just how amazing it is that Jesus hung on that cross for our sins. And praise the Lord that, that, that He was absolutely effective in, in doing so. He, he satisfied the justice of God. He fully paid my debt. So, so, so I don't have to worry about getting a surprise bill in the mail. Has that ever happened to you? you know, some bill shows up that, that you didn't know was coming and you thought you had this thing paid off and you know, here's another couple hundred dollars that you owe. Now, I don't have to worry about showing up before God someday in, in heaven and, and realizing that, that I still have a debt that, that, that it isn't quite paid off. No. When Jesus was done on the cross, before He died, He cried, it is finished. So the debt is paid. And I am absolutely free. So, so maybe there's someone here today, a, a Christian or a non-Christian, and you're feeling weighed down by your sin debt. You know, particularly if, you, if you're not saved, you, you've always assumed that it is your responsibility to pay it off. I mean, there's got to be something you've got to do to pay God off and to earn forgiveness and salvation. And please see that you cannot possibly pay off your debt. It is miles long. If it was on paper, it would fill up a room. You'd be killing trees left and right. But, but Jesus, when He died on the cross, He fully paid your debt. And you can be saved, you can be justified, you can be redeemed by simply receiving Christ and His free gift of salvation. And if you are redeemed, never forget that God redeemed you with the intent of changing everything about you. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20 say, or do, it says this to believers, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? 
For you have been bought with a price. There's the language of redemption. You have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. So Jesus bought your life. He bought everything about you on that cross. And so I am to live a life that is wholly dedicated to Him. I am not my own. That's such a simple way to look at life. And so important. So, so, so redemption is the second major concept in this passage. Justification is free for us, but it is not free for God. And then the third major concept in the passage is propitiation. So, so verse 25 then goes on to say of Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in His blood through faith. Now, propitiation is not a word that we probably use on any sort of regular basis. So, so we definitely need to begin with a definition here. All right. So propitiation, this is from Wayne Grudem. He says that it is a sacrifice that bears God's wrath to the end. And in so doing, changes God's wrath toward us into favor. So, so when we think of propitiation, we, we need to think of wrath. God's wrath towards sin and how God resolved his own wrath. Now, now last summer, uh, some of you might recall uh, that on Sunday nights, uh, we watched a, a video about how many people, even, even people who profess to believe on Christ, are highly offended by this concept of propitiation. Because they believe that, 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 that well, first of all, they, they can't fathom the idea that, that they would be deserving of wrath. How can you say that I deserve the wrath of God? That's highly offensive to many people. And as well, they, 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 they don't like the idea that God would have wrath towards sin. Now, they want to believe in a God who is warm and cuddly and you know, like a little puppy on your lap. But, but the Old Testament mentions God's wrath 580 times. And Jesus talked about hell more than he did about heaven. And Paul has already affirmed God's wrath against sin Four times in the book, of, four different verses in the book of Romans. So, so, so Romans 1.18 says that the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all unrighteousness and God, ungodliness of men. So, so the Bible is clear that, that God has wrath towards sin. Now, of course, we need to be clear here that God's wrath is not like human wrath. You know, you know my wrath is generally uncontrolled passionate rage, right? Like that's, when we think of wrath, we think of irrational, we think of uncontrolled, and we think of craziness. But, but that's not God's wrath. No, no, God's wrath is perfectly just and rational. It is His just, rational response to sin. It is righteous, and it is holy. But it still has very severe consequences for sinners, and folks, it is important that we appreciate the, the fact that, that my sin deserves the wrath of God. And so to teach us that fact, God introduced the concept of propitiation in the Old Testament, a sacrificial system, and specifically, he, he did so uh, through, and specifically, the language of propitiation comes from the ritual of the Day of Atonement. And so, uh, the Day of Atonement was, was the day, it was a Sabbath rest once a year, uh, where, where it was the only day of the year where the high priest would enter the Holy of Holies, and, and, and the language of propitiation especially concerns 
the mercy seat on the lid of the Ark of the Covenant. So remember that the Ark of the Covenant represented for Israel the presence of God. And on the lid of that Ark, there was a mercy seat. And of course, there were two angels that were over the top of that mercy seat. And that mercy seat was a mercy seat because that's, it, it, it symbolized God's presence among Israel. God was there. God was among them. But of course, the presence of God among sinners also reflects His wrath. Because the place where a holy God and sinners meet is going to be a place of wrath. And so God instituted the Day of Atonement. And on this day, the high priest was the only day of the year where he would enter the Holy of Holies. He would go all the way to the back of the tabernacle and he would sprinkle blood from a goat on that mercy seat. And when he did so, it represented the removal of Israel's sin. It represented the satisfaction of God's wrath and the restoration of fellowship between Israel and God. And so so the Day of Atonement was a heavy, sober day in Israel's calendar where they were reminded of their sin and the weight of the idea that someone would be able to go into the presence of God and make atonement. But of course, it was also a day of tremendous joy when, when, when the priest would come out of the, of the tabernacle or the temple, having made atonement, the people would rejoice because, because favor was restored and God accepted them. So, so, so it was a, a precious, important part of Israel's history. Now, of course, we understand, and, and Israel should have understood, that the blood of a goat in this ritual could never truly atone for sin. But our text says that God determined to provide a true atonement in Christ. Now, now, I do want to emphasize that it is God the Father who does this, right? So, so verse 25 says, God displayed publicly His Son. Now, now, I just want to mention that because sometimes we have this picture of God where like, God is up in heaven and He's mad and He wants to judge people and, and Jesus is, you know, comes along as like the nice guy you know, to, to, to calm the Father down and to say, I'll take care of it, let me take care of your, your, your uncontrolled rage. And that is heresy, right? To, to say that there is this conflict in God or, or to say that, that God the Father is mad and angry and bad and He's the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament is something else. No. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 10 says, In this is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. So all of this happened at God the Father's initiative. And Jesus obeyed. Our text says that he was, public, he was displayed publicly as a propitiation in His blood. So we know the story. Jesus was publicly beaten. And then He was publicly crucified. He was executed by one of the cruelest methods that has ever been devised. And on the cross, Jesus suffered an unimaginable, pain and humiliation but of course the worst part of the cross was that 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 in the cross he who knew no sin became sin for us his our sin was was credited to him on the cross and the gospels tell us that when our sin fell on jesus that utter darkness fell over the entire land at high noon and when the sun is the highest 
utter darkness fell over the land as, as, the, as, as our sin fell on Jesus and as God the Father poured out His wrath on His only Son. And folks, the day Jesus died on the cross truly was the darkest day of human history. But after three hours, Jesus cried, it is finished. And the Bible tells us that He then surrendered His life to death. And God affirmed His his satisfaction of wrath in the fact that that He tore the veil in the temple in two. Now now that's huge, right? Because, Because for 1,400 years, that veil had represented the, 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 the break in fellowship between God and man resulting from sin. But when Jesus died, the veil was torn in two. And so God's wrath is satisfied and sinners can be reconciled to Him. So Jesus satisfied God's wrath once for all. He eliminated the barrier between God and men and He made it possible for sinners like us to go from standing under the wrath of God to being adopted into his family, to calling God our Father, and to enjoying intimate fellowship with him. So, propitiation is a big word, right? It's a complicated word. But but it is simply, simply an amazing concept in Scripture. And once again, verse 25 says that this propitiation can be ours simply through faith. So I don't pay for it. I don't work it off. I simply receive, receive Christ and rest in Him. So if you are saved, I just want to encourage you to never forget, as Ephesians 2.3 says, that there was a time when you were a child of wrath. I mean, think about that. Before you received Christ, you were a child of wrath. And you were headed towards eternal condemnation. But Jesus took your place. He bore the wrath that you deserve so that you could, be, so that you could receive and enjoy grace. So, so we should give thanks every day that, that we have been saved from the wrath of God. And that as Romans 8.1 says, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And if you're not in Christ, if you're not saved, Understand that right now, at this moment, the wrath of God is over you. And so repent. Recognize your sin. Recognize the the fact that that is just and right. And and trust in Christ as the only hope of salvation. You can be saved from the wrath of God today if you will simply receive Christ. And I hope that you will do that before you leave. So, so verses 24 and 25 mention three wonderful salvation terms. Justification, redemption, and propitiation. But then verses 25 through 26, uh, Paul shifts to God's ultimate reason for providing this great salvation. And he tells us that, that as much as God truly loves us, we are not the ultimate reason behind this all. No, instead, the fourth major concept in our passage is glorification. And by this, I mean the glorification of God, not the glorification of us. So, so let's read on. The, the middle of verse 25 says, of all of this, this was to demonstrate His righteousness. Because in the forbearance of God, He passed over the sins previously committed. For the demonstration, I say, of His righteousness at the present time, so that He would be just and the justifier 
of the one who has faith in Jesus. Now, now this statement might be a bit jarring to us because we like to think that the gospel is all about me. And have, have you heard someone say something like, I must be really important. I must be really valuable for God to want me so much that he would send Jesus to die for me. And so we use the gospel as a way to you know, pump up our own egos and to tell us how valuable and important we are. And certainly we are loved by God and we are his image bearers and, we've, and we matter and all that, that's true. But, but verse 25 says that Jesus died first and foremost to demonstrate God's righteousness. So the cross was fundamentally about God's glory. And notice uh, here that, that God's righteousness in verses 25 and 26 is a little bit different from what we saw in verses 21 and 22. So, so remember we talked last week about the fact that, that God's righteousness in verses 21 and 22 is his righteousness credited to us. And verse 22 makes that clear because it says the righteousness of God comes to us through faith. But, but when you look at the flow of the argument and, and the flow of the text, it's clear that verses 25 and 26 are not talking about you know, God's righteousness credited to us. They're talking about God's attribute of righteousness. They're talking about God's character. So, so verses 25 and 26 are saying that God declared His righteousness at the cross. He glorified Himself. So, so the ultimate purpose of the cross is the glory of God. But, but you might wonder, well, well, how did God do this? And why is it necessary? Now, now, verse 25 raises an important issue that probably most of us don't lay awake at night thinking about, but an issue that clearly would have been on the minds of Paul's Jewish readers. So, so namely, I mean, if Christ alone saves, as Paul has been arguing, then, then what does that mean for all the people who lived before Jesus died? You know, is, is, is Paul saying then that all of them are in hell? Is he saying that somehow, maybe some of them did enough good works to earn a place in heaven? Is he saying that God just decided to close his eyes and pretend like they didn't sin and save them anyway? Well, or, well, well we saw, and we saw last summer in that video, that a lot of people think that Jesus should be able, or God should be able to just, you know, arbitrarily forgive people. You know, that, that he's God. God can do whatever he wants and so if God just wants to decide to forgive people and let them into heaven, then he ought to be able to do so. And so some people uh, even go so far as to accuse God of divine child abuse if he really did kill his own son. But, but they've missed some very important truths about God. And, and namely, the fact is, is that God's attributes are not Plato that he can just mold and shape into whatever he wants them to be at the moment. Now, God's attributes are what they are. And the Bible says that God is bound by his attributes. And so, and so one of God's most important attributes is his justice or his righteousness. And those, those concepts come from the same family of terms, so, so they're largely synonymous and, and, you know, God's justice is one of those attributes that, that we might think is a bad thing. But, but I'm really thankful. I am really thankful that God is just. Because, because if God were not just, you know, I mean, think about, 
you know, the, the consequences of sin and rebellion being left without consequence. I, I am thankful that, that God is going to judge sin someday and that He will hold every sin accountable. Now, I'm glad that He's going to end it someday and that God is just. So, so God's justice is a good thing. But of course, God's justice also means that God cannot arbitrarily hand out grace. He can't just forgive without consequence. He always has to do what is just. So so that raises an important theological question. How can God be truly just where every sin must be punished fully and completely and at the same time be gracious? Have you ever thought about that one? I mean, how can God perfectly account for every sin, but also show grace to a sinner like me? I mean, we would, we would tend to think that grace and justice are mutually exclusive. They can't exist together. So, so did God just choose to ignore the sins of Abraham, Moses, and, and David when he, when he saved them? Can he just choose to forgive me? And if not, what is the answer? Well, of course, the answer is the cross. And verse 26 says that in the present time, speaking of this moment in salvation history, so so speaking of the age of grace in which we live, at this time, God demonstrated or loudly declared His righteousness by by judging Jesus on the cross. And and so I I like to emphasize that, that the greatest demonstration of God's justice is not that He condemns sinners to hell. Like, like we look at the condemnation of sinners, and, and that is overwhelming to us. But, but Paul is saying here that the greatest demonstration of God's righteousness is that he is so committed to his justice that he poured out his wrath on his only begotten son. And that is incredible. You know, like sometimes we say we have a value, but then like when the rubber meets the road, we kind of twitch a bit and give up that value. No, God was so committed to His justice that He judged Jesus. But, but chapter 5, verse 8 is going to say that in the cross, God also displayed His marvelous love for sinners. And He opened the way in the cross for Him to be just and also gracious. So, so because Christ bore our sins in the cross... God can forgive our sins and we can be justified. So so verse 26, what does it say? It says God is both just and He is the justifier of those who have faith in Jesus. It's incredible. And, and And so when Abraham believed God, God justified him based on the coming death of Jesus. He didn't just forgive Abraham. What Paul is saying here is that God looked ahead to the sacrifice that he knew Jesus would make, and he justified Abraham on that basis. And for us, it's just the other side of the coin. When I trusted in Christ as a savior, as my Savior, when I was a small boy, God looked back on what Jesus had done on the cross, and based on what Jesus had done, he justified me. And it's absolutely amazing. And verses 25 and 26 say that in all of it, God marvelously glorified Himself. 
Again, the gospel is fundamentally, the cross is not fundamentally about me. It is about God. And that's why verse 27 goes on to say, where then is boasting? It is excluded. I have no room to boast in my salvation. I can't sit here and say, wow, look at what I did. Look how smart I am. Look at what I achieved. No, all the glory goes solely to Christ. So, so in the cross, we see most clearly the righteousness, the holiness, the justice of God in the judgment of Jesus. And you want to know how, how holy God is, look at the cross. But as well, we can look at the cross and we can see that we serve a God of love and compassion and grace. Because God made a way to, to be kind to us. You know, as well, we can look at the cross and we can see God's power because Jesus defeated our, our mortal enemies of sin and death. Things that we could not hope to even imagine defeating ourselves. And the whole story is a marvelous testimony to God's wisdom. Because only God could devise such a beautiful plan that would bring all of these attributes together into a man dying on the cross for the sins of humanity. It is a beautiful, beautiful story. So, so when you look at the cross, see God first and foremost. And worship Him for His glorious justice, grace, power, and wisdom. God is awesome. And then be humbled before Him. You know, there's no room for boasting at the foot of the cross because we are simply sinners saved by grace. But then rest in the perfect love and acceptance which Christ provided that day. And God really does love me in Christ. And that is incredible to ponder. And He's adopted me into His family and, and I am forever secure there. So Christian, remind yourself of the gospel every day. You know, when, when Satan tempts you to despair, tells you of the guilt within, remember what Christ did. And you are safe in Christ. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But, but maybe there's someone here that, that you've never put your faith in Christ for salvation. And again, I hope that you will do so, even at this moment. You know, if you still hope that you can earn favor of God, you just can't get over the idea that, that there's not something you can do to make yourself acceptable to God. Then, then look at the cross. You know, and just think about the fact that, that if God is so committed to His justice that He killed His own Son, that, then what makes you think that there is anything you can do that would satisfy that justice? It's not possible. You need to trust in Christ and be saved in Him. You know, maybe there is something that you love more than Christ that is keeping you from, from receiving Christ as Lord. And I hope that you'll look at the cross and see that Jesus is better than whatever it is that you want more. And He is full of grace and mercy and His reward is better than, than anything that you're holding on to. And maybe you're afraid to receive Christ as Savior. You know, maybe you're afraid of what people will think. Maybe you're afraid of God. 
and, and you're not quite sure how you could speak with him or how you could relate to him, maybe you're afraid of what God will demand if you trust in him. I hope that you will see that he is a loving Savior and you'll come to him and rest. Let's have everyone bow your head and close your eyes. And before we sing, I, I just want to ask, and we've, we've walked through the gospel very carefully today, and, and I just, so I want to ask if there's anyone here that has not received Christ as Savior, and, and you would like me or someone else to just follow up with you and talk with you about how you can be saved, and uh, you'd like prayer. Is there anyone like that today? Just slip up your hand so I can see it and seek you out at another time. Is there anyone? Okay. All right. Lord, thank you so much for the gospel. And thank you for Jesus. Thank you for all that he has done for us. And Lord, I pray for any here who have not yet received him that today you would work and they would come to the end of themselves and trust in Jesus. And Lord, for those of us that know you as Savior, help us to glorify you for your grace and mercy. Help us to live for you each day. And Lord, help us when we are discouraged and weighed down by our sin to rest in the finished work of Jesus and to know that, that it is secure. Thank you, God, for the gospel. And we glorify you today for all that you have done. In Christ's name, amen.